Hello and welcome to The Well Podcast. Find out more at facebook.com forward slash The Well Event. Tonight, um, what I want to talk about, I won't be here very long to make this point because it's not a point that you need to get in a half an hour sermon and a 45 minute sermon in a couple of hours study, something you study over a couple of weeks. This is something that we live by every day. This is something that we continually question ourselves and ask ourselves and, and almost aim and strive for daily in our walk with Christ. If you were to give it a title, I would, I would say, is knowing Jesus your highest priority? As a Christian, is knowing Jesus your highest priority? We're going to take a reading from Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through to 11. And this is Paul writing this. And Paul starts it with, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation, for we are the circumcision. And it's very interesting the terminology that Paul uses here whenever he's talking to the Gentiles, talking to new believers, people that wouldn't have been accustomed to Jewish or Judaism traditions, wouldn't have been something that they would have actively been involved in, the act of circumcision. And especially because whenever Paul's talking about circumcision in that regards, he's talking about the circumcision of the heart and spirit. And as well as that, he's also talking to a congregation of not only males, but also females. So it isn't even something that physically a woman can be circumcised. He's talking about specifically the circumcision of the heart and circumcision of the spirit. For we are the circumcision who worship God and the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I and this is Paul saying this, I more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law. I was blameless. And he goes on to say in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And there's even a particular word that Paul uses here, and he uses it in the Greek. Whenever he talks about rubbish, he actually refers to the very things that he was brought up in within the church. And he actually uses a Greek word that translated the English, translates as horse manure. He feels that strongly about the very things that he was brought up in, that he got it so wrong that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which, in, which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In this reading, Paul breaks down very three key areas. In verses 1 to 3, Paul gives a warning to the Gentiles that he's talking to. In verses 4 to 6, Paul begins to open up about his testimony and speak about his testimony. And in verses 7 through to 11, Paul gives us the goal and the focus of his life now. It's interesting to note in Paul's testimony is based solely around religion and his religious attributes. Like a testimony of someone in today's, like a, almost like a testimony of someone in the church today, but not actually saved. In today's modern world, and especially in Northern Ireland, if a testimony doesn't involve drink, drugs, or even the paramilitaries, it doesn't, it's, it's not worth listening to. Yet Paul gives us so much to consider from his church and his religious background. 
In Paul's day, there was a, fault, there was a, group, of, the group that followed him after he was teaching, uh, and they were teaching a false doctrine, which is why he makes a reference to dogs in the early part of the chapter. Paul would have preached grace plus faith equals salvation. And they would change that message and indicate that not by grace alone, but by works, telling Gentiles that they needed to get circumcised, follow the Old Testament law, and then also believe in Jesus Christ in order to attain salvation. Paul immediately cuts this and tells the Gentiles not to believe what these religious men have to say. Salvation cannot be earned through anything external. If anyone thinks they have more external accolades or trophies in order to get their way into heaven via other means, Paul goes on to not to boast, but to say that I have more. And then from here, he goes on to list his religious accomplishments that he's obtained before knowing Christ. And at the beginning, when he does begin to talk, it does seem like he is putting the boastful nature to it. He is, you know, basically telling them that I'm the man, whenever it came from a religious point of view. But at the end, things things change. And through verses 4 through to 6, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, what he's telling the Gentiles is, I have godly parents who were wise enough to obey the law and circumcise me according to the law. He then goes on to say, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. In other words, I am part of God's chosen people, so surely that should get me somewhere. If being from Israel isn't enough, I am from the tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin was one of the larger, more prominent tribes of Israel in Israel at the time. And the tribe of Benjamin were known for their courage, descended from Jacob's youngest son, Benjamin. And playing a vital role in history, especially during the reign of King Saul, who came from the tribe of Benjamin, the first Israelite king, as well as earlier tribe leaders in the period of Judges, Mordecai in the book of Esther, the champion Ehud from the book of Judges. So Paul was in line with some fairly important people throughout Old Testament scripture. He then goes on to say that I am a Hebrew, and a real Hebrew that does not mix with any other race. I am also a Pharisee, Pharisees being the most religious sect, in the Jewish culture at the time, knowing the Old Testament back to front and priding themselves in being able to obey the law perfectly. He says he's zealous. In terms of zeal, Paul was such a Pharisee that he loved Judaism so much that he persecuted the church. He he said he felt that these Christians were blaspheming God by claiming that Jesus was really God and with righteousness. As far as this goes, Paul says that he was blameless without a blemish on his record. In other words, if anything needed done by the law, I fulfilled it and obeyed it perfectly. And when I didn't, I was wise enough to get the right sacrifice, whether that be a bull, a lamb, a pigeon, or a goat. And I offered that sacrifice to atone for my sin. And after everything that Paul has said and went through throughout his testimony, all that he, all that he has obtained through his life, and then, he ta- and then he talks about being touched and that amazing transformation and what God has done in his life on the Damascus Road. He thinks about these assets as if they were like obeying the law, family heritage, zeal, righteousness. All these things I thought were assets to hold in high esteem, earning points on God's score sheet, getting me closer to him. And that these are now liabilities. That if he trusts in these things for salvation, and the more he relies on them, it is actually pushing him away from the very thing, the very intimacy, the very relationship with Jesus Christ. Young people tonight, we can go to church. We can give money to our church. We can go to seminars and studies, follow the Bible, back to front, be so theological in our thinking, choosing a side between oneness and trinity, soul sleep and instant movement from this life to the next, Calvinism and Arminian viewpoints, where Christ was between death and resurrection, 
how Noah's Ark brought about the earth's first rainfall. When the book of Revelation started, whether you believe in a historic viewpoint or a futurist viewpoint, we can receive counsel from older people, from more mature Christians, as these people that were talking to Paul believed that they were receiving from the very group that came after Paul. And that's also another point that I do want to touch on tonight, later on, to sort of say, to ask, are we putting God first in our decisions? The things that I've listed that we do as Christians are important, and I'm not knocking that. But never allow yourself to rely on them more than your very relationship with Christ. Paul says that everything I believe to be a credit to me, I consider as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. All of these things, he says, I consider as garbage with my main focus being knowing Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on at the end of this, this chapter and he puts it beautifully when he says that he wants to know Christ. He wants to know Christ. What does he mean by that? Which means I want to know him intellectually by reading his word. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to experience that same power of Jesus' resurrection flowing through me. The power to resist temptation, break down strongholds in my life. The power to share my faith even when I don't know what I'm going to say. The power to use my spiritual gifts. And he also says that I want to know his pain. I want to share in the sufferings of Christ so that I can even know him on a deeper level. And that isn't something that too many believers pray for these days, especially these days. Going back to the point that I made earlier about um, receiving counsel from older believers in the faith, which is always a good thing, but God's counsel is what we should be seeking for first, especially whenever it comes to the treatment of others and how to respond in love to those around us. There's a saying that goes, the Christian army is the only army that actually buries its wounded. We tend to find ourselves swayed by the actions of others and allow that to dictate our own Christian thinking and our own Christian actions instead of making our own decisions. And that can even be true about life sometimes. As young believers, it's only natural to see what other believers do and mimic that. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But know your ability to discern and make intimacy with God your number one priority before seeking counsel. A number of years ago, I had an opportunity of, of living and working in Beijing after I graduated from university. Uh, it was a relatively small company. Uh, it was a fairly small workforce, uh, and we worked basically out of our boss's apartment uh, in the San Latoon district of Beijing, um, which had such a western mark placed on it. Every morning it took me three tubes and roughly 40 minutes of walking to make it to work every day, and the same coming back home. Me being new to the culture, uh, I had to be on my best behaviour, which was incredibly difficult. Uh, one day in work, there was myself and two colleagues uh, were talking. Uh, there was a girl, Elena, from, who was Russian, and also uh, another girl from Hong Kong. Uh, we all nicknamed her Shui because nobody had any idea how to pronounce her name. Uh, we were talking about everything and anything going. And they mentioned a bit of advice for me that has stuck with me. 
and it told me here, if you ever see a Chinese person in need, leave them. If they're hit by a car, collapse, sick, whatever it is, ignore it and walk on. Because as soon as you touch them or try to help, they're your responsibility. To pay for doctor, hospital fees. And if they die on your watch, you're to blame. And then they also said to me, they go on to say to me, because I'm white from the West and don't speak the language, it'll come down a lot harder on you. The next day, on my morning commute uh, from, from the accommodation, I was walking toward my first tube station at uh, Wangjing South Central Station. Got on my first train, as I normally do, three stops until I transfer. And after one stop, there was a guy got on. He stood right beside me. You could tell he wasn't well. A few seconds after the train moved, he collapsed in the middle of the tube. And his head actually landed on my foot. Remembering what I was told the day before, I did nothing. Removed my foot, took a step back, as everyone else on the train did. Most people purposely looked away. The only help he received once the doors had opened, a man had lifted him up as quick as he could, put him on the bench outside, gave him a bottle of water, and stepped back on the train before the door was shut. And the individual who collapsed was roughly in his 20s. That man who gave him help wanted to get out, in and out as quick as possible. But there was no recollection, there was no remembering of his face, there was no names transferred, there was no contact details given. That man didn't want anything to do with this individual. How is it the church, in church communities, how is it the church communities finds itself in the same position? That in the parable of the Good Samaritan, how many times is it that we've been so accustomed to doing what the rest of the Christians are doing? And find ourselves as the priest and the Levite? and take a step back when someone's in need looking at the actions of others around us, just like on the train, and allowing that to dictate our thoughts and decision-making as Christians. Come back to my first point, that the Christian army is the only army that buries its wounded. I said I wasn't going to be long, but I'm going to ask the well band if they can come back up again. We're meant to be different. And a light in this dark world. Instead of thinking what everyone else would consider, why not consider what Jesus would do? In times in life, when God tells you to do something, you do it. It's good to seek counsel, but if you know in your heart of hearts, if God has given you a direction and a clear indication of what to do, do it. Can we all stand? I wasn't going to mention this tonight, but I think I will. In 1 Kings chapter 13, there's a story of a young prophet and an old prophet. The young prophet is given an indication by God to go in to speak against the altar, to speak against King Jeroboam and the actions of what he's doing. The young prophet is given an indication and told by God, you do not stay here, you get in and you get out. You do not stay to get something to eat, you do not stay for anything to drink, you get in, you do the job and you get out. On his way back out, an older prophet in God 
stops him on the road and says to him, are you the man of God that preached against the altar that we had seen? And he says, yes, I am. The older prophet then tells him a lie and tells him an angel of God came to me and told me to bring you back to my house, to give you something to drink, to give you something to eat, to come back and, and, and enjoy a, a time of fellowship with me. The young prophet goes back and on his journey out, back again because he disobeyed what God told him in the first place. He was devoured by a lamb. Go and read it. It's an, two unnamed prophets. And even whenever you think in Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God was devastated about their sin. He was furious about their sin. But if you read closely in Genesis chapter 3, whenever God is actually speaking to Adam and Eve directly, Eve is the one who has initiated the sin by taking fruit and giving it to her husband. And God specifies that you sinned against me. But the very thing that God puts on Adam, he says that you heeded to the word of somebody else. You didn't listen to what I told you to do. You listened to somebody else. The potential in this room tonight is immense. And God's got a plan for every single one of your lives here tonight. And you need to know that. When you get that intimacy with God, when you get alone with God, when you pray to God, when you read his word, when you get to know him on these levels that Paul is talking about, and you put aside the very things that you think are on a score sheet with God that Paul is talking about, yes, these things are good to have, but if you don't have the very core organized, that's, that is where our reliance comes from. That's where our salvation comes from. That's where our strive to get up every morning comes from. I want to know Christ, and I want to know him on a deeper level.